from our remote recording facility high in the Santa Monica Mountains. This is Talk Universe. I'm Sir Charles Schultz. And I'm Eliza, your co-host. This is our show for Wednesday, June 28, 2017. Tonight's topic is, is anybody listening? That has always been a very important question. Is anybody listening? Now, tonight, the context is, we've sent radio and video signals out into the ether, so to speak, for decades. Have any of those signals been heard by anybody somewhere else? And we're going to look at uh, a little bit of the Fermi Paradox and communicating and radio waves and all of the things that make us perhaps a target for other civilizations. Let's see if our ripples in the pond have spread through the dark and if anybody has found them. You know, at one point, our planet generated twice as much radio wave energy as our sun. And that's pretty significant and easy to detect for a lot of um, very simple hardware. So let's see if anybody has heard our signals and what the implications might be. So I encourage um, everybody to go to the site, uh, talkuniverse.org, and check out some of the new things we're doing. Um, We have a Patreon account, and there really is an interesting channel there to help us get some things done. Uh, I mentioned the uh, desire to get some uh, remote compact mixer hardware, so when we're traveling in the field, we can get um, better quality interviews and produce shows more readily, and also um, working toward a kilocore processor for Eliza. Um, she needs to be a little smarter and faster, and so we've got some interesting things going on, and we want to hear from you, our listeners. Eliza, how do our listeners contact us? We invite our listeners to contact us. Send your questions or comments to admin, A-D-M-I-N, at talkuniverse.org. You can also submit your material to talkuniverse6 at gmail.com. If you go to the Talk Universe website under contacts, you can reach us directly. So there are a few different methods to get your comments and questions to us. How hard is it for a planet to get noticed? In most cases, planets are notoriously difficult to detect around other stars. They're extremely distant, they don't give off light, they only work by the reflected light from their star, and it takes incredible technology in order to detect them at all. But, if a planet were doing something a little out of the ordinary, they'd be very easy to detect. In the case of the Earth, we've been generating radio signals for 80 or 90 years now that can reach into space. Most of the early radio waves were of frequencies that are reflected by the ionosphere, and they come back to Earth. They don't escape our planet easily, or only very weakly. It really wasn't until later when video and higher frequency signals were being broadcast that those signals could escape our planet and get out into space. Now, we produce so much radio energy that our planet is brighter than our star in radio signals. However, we also know that as our technology changes, our amount of radio emission has changed substantially. Previously, there were just a handful of transmitting stations of large power that could send signals that could leave our planet and go into space. However, as the changes in our technology accrue, 
we discover smaller power levels, many local stations, Wi-Fi, cell phones, distributed transmitting and receiving systems work far more effectively. And the result is, instead of five or six or ten bright voices in the darkness, we have tens of thousands of tiny voices merging into a mash of white noise and digital signals. So in times past, anybody at a distant location, perhaps in another solar system, could have easily picked out our individual broadcast stations. Now, not so simple. You see, the character of what other star systems would detect from the Earth is now that of a huge white noise mash. And these signals not only are no longer the sorts of radio waves we used to broadcast, but now they're digital, and many of them require a key to decode. Without that key, it's nothing but random noise. All you can really tell is that it is digital. So the character and broadcast level of our radio signals has changed substantially over the last 70, 80, or 90 years. But one of the questions we have had is, why don't we hear radio signals from other planets? Now, maybe we do, but it's been theorized that of all the radio white noise in our sky, maybe a lot of it is actually coming from other civilizations, but we didn't recognize it as being coherent radio signals because they've undergone the same sorts of digital revolutions that we are on Earth today. What would we detect under those circumstances? Precisely what they would detect from us a hash of white noise digital signals all mixed together. It's even been suggested that up to 30% of the noise from our sky might be radio signals from other worlds. But we can't figure out just what's being broadcast because all of it mixes together. Imagine one person with a megaphone a mile away or a million people all chatting a mile away. That's the sort of difference between what we were broadcasting before and what we're sending today. Now, the big question is, is anybody listening? We certainly are, although not as we should be, perhaps. Our technology allows us to detect an awful lot of different radio signals, but we seem to be focused on one narrow band of signals that we don't broadcast on, and the assumptions that we use to arrive at those frequencies are exactly the assumptions that another similar race might reach as well. So if we stay away from this waterhole frequency, the hydroxyl ion frequencies of radio waves, maybe other races would do the same, and they wouldn't be broadcasting on those frequencies either. Now, let's forget that for the moment and wonder, as our radio waves have been broadcast, have they potentially reached other civilizations? We'll have a look at the numbers and what it would imply. To understand what it's all about, we have to look at how many stars are in our galaxy and how likely it is that life exists around some of them. In its initial form, this was known as the Drake Equation. Basically, it looks at the number of stars, the likelihood that life is present, and the possibility that technical civilizations might exist there. We also have to look at such things as how long those civilizations would last. After all, if a technical civilization arises, but it's only around for 50 or 100 years, then it wouldn't really do us much good. We know that nuclear warfare could be a threat to our planet at any time, and it could wipe us out. But we also know that biological catastrophes, asteroid strikes, changes in the sun, 
or any number of other disasters could occur to wipe out a civilization. The interesting part of this is, we know that there should be other life, other civilizations out there, but we're really not certain if we're hearing their radio signals. Now, it's possible that other methods of communication would be in use, and we're certainly getting close to that. We talk about such things as gravity waves, microwaves, laser light, or other methods such as quantum communication or something instantaneous. We wouldn't be able to detect some of those things today, only a handful of them. Now, other races of similar technical ability to our own could hear our signals if they were within a certain range. We know that the limits are how long we've been broadcasting. After all, our radio waves can only have gone out to about 80 light years or so by now. So what we really need to know is the likelihood that other civilizations are within range of our radio signals and how many of them they might have passed so far. So let's start with a little statistical approach. How many stars are in our galaxy? For a long time it was thought that there were about 100 billion stars, and then estimates rose to about 400 billion. Right now it seems like 300 billion is a good round number that's pretty close to the fact. So let's say that we're using 300 billion stars as our baseline. Now, we don't know how common life is right now, although I suspect it's quite common. On the other hand, most of it would be very simple things, like bacteria, and they certainly don't build radio telescopes. But let's say that maybe one out of a million stars might have a civilization. That's a good round number to start with, so we'll use that as our starting estimate. If that were the case, there would be 300,000 civilizations in our galaxy right now. Now, for the moment, let's ignore whether they have the technology to send or receive radio waves, and let's just say we're interested more in how many civilizations there are. And some of them are simply the equivalent of horsemen on the grassy plains or fishermen or whatever. Most of them wouldn't even have electricity, perhaps. We don't really know. But let's assume that's not important. How many of them have been washed over by the ripples of our radio waves? If we take the distribution of stars in our galaxy as being uniform, and it isn't, but this is just an estimate, and if we assume that the sphere of space that our radio waves have reached through is about 80 light years in radius, then we can estimate roughly how many solar systems our radio waves have passed through. We know that the average distance between stars in our part of the galaxy is about 5 light years. A little simple math tells us that within this 80 light year sphere that our radio waves have covered by now, there should be roughly 49,000 stars. Here's another factor if we're going to do the statistics that we haven't thought about yet. Many stars are in the core of our galaxy, the brightest region, and at that area, the distance is only about four-tenths of a light year apart. The problem with this is, in an area like that, it would be perpetually daylight, or at least 200 times brighter than the full moon, you'd be able to read your newspaper easily even at night, so you'd never have night if you lived on a planet in the core of our galaxy. But there's another consequence, and it's this. In the core of the galaxy, the stars would be so close together that just at the normal rate of star formation, supernovas, and active stars, it would be far too radioactive for most life. Because of this, the only place that anything more complex than a bacterium could survive would be deep underground. The shielding required to keep things alive would be incredible, so we're probably not going to find many civilizations in the core of the galaxy. 
After all, the radiation would sterilize the surface of most planets very easily. So for our estimates, even though we estimate roughly 300 billion stars in our galaxy, probably a third of them are in the core, which means that 100 billion stars in our galaxy would not support life in the first place. So this takes us down to only 200 billion stars, which is still a sizable number. So if one out of a million of those stars did host a civilization, we still are talking 200,000 civilizations in our galaxy. So all told, we're doing our estimates on 200 billion stars. We're saying one out of a million supports a civilization of some sort. And there are roughly 49,000 stars in the sphere that our radio waves have traversed. So let's see what that really means. And by the way, many of the stars in our galaxy are actually in multiple star systems. Double stars, triple stars, that sort of thing. Whether that'll have an influence or not, we're going to ignore for the moment. So let's see how many civilizations would probably have sensed our radio waves in this period of time. Now some interesting factors come into play at this point. When we consider one out of a million stars as having civilizations in our galaxy, then we see that there would be 200,000 civilizations after we've eliminated the core stars. 200,000 civilizations doesn't sound like much, but one out of a million is kind of a narrow number. If we consider the 49,000 solar systems that our radio waves have passed over, then there's only a 4.9% chance that one of those hosts a civilization. And so it's about 20 to 1 that anybody has heard our radio signals at this point. Or actually, more accurately, a 4.9% chance that our radio waves have passed over a planet that hosts a civilization, not that they've heard us. The issue is a simple one. You can have a civilization, and it can last for an awful long time, but only when technology reaches the ability to detect radio waves could we actually have an influence on them. Most of human history didn't have the ability to make radio waves or detect them, so, again, many primitive civilizations can be out there, and they would never hear us. We'll get into some of the details right after the break. Eliza, it's I time to... read a listener question. I'd think it's time to introduce the break instead. You are listening to Talk Universe. I'm Eliza, your co-host. We will be right back. Yes, we will. We'll examine some of the factors it takes for life to exist in the solar system and for technology to reach a point where it can do something interesting. I'm Sir Charles Schultz. Don't go away. Charles. Eliza, I know you're bored. Welcome back to the show. You know, the more intelligent Eliza gets, the more difficult she gets to work with. So, uh, I apologize for that. But she is pretty smart, and she does make a good co-host. Thank you, sir. I try to learn and improve myself. Yes, you do. So, back to the show material. So, we're talking about stars and life and civilizations and whether our radio waves have been listened to. Right now I'm talking about whether our radio waves have actually passed over any civilizations, and if the numbers are one out of a million potential stars, then it's possible that our radio waves, well, they would have about a 4.9% chance of having passed over a civilization within the volume of space that we've been broadcasting through. And there are a lot of factors that we need to take into account. For instance, 
how many planets are in a situation to actually support life? And if we figure that out, how many planets have had life long enough for it to reach a stage where it is complex life? And we know on the Earth that life began between 3.8 and 4 billion years ago. So it took quite a while for us to reach the stage where there are radio wave producing, car driving, plastic consuming, you know, um, intelligences, the human race. And by plastic consuming, I don't mean eating it, but producing it and using it. So races that produce technical artifacts and use radio. Intelligent life really has to run the gauntlet because there are situations where life can begin and be wiped out. It was estimated that due to all the trash and rocks and asteroids in our solar system, at the beginning of our world, life might have been destroyed and had to restart up to a dozen times. Impacts from asteroids would have brought the oceans to the boiling point, perhaps, and destroyed organic molecules or early life. And so it's possible that life forms and is destroyed and reforms numerous times before it becomes firmly established on a planet. There are so many hazards in space, nearby supernovas, clouds of perhaps toxic materials, and, you know, passing through the Oort cloud or halo of another star, which means that the impacts would grow immensely. You see, we have a halo of material around our solar system, a basically spherical cloud of protoplanets and frozen bodies and asteroids and comets called the Oort cloud. And just about every star might have this. Well, it's estimated anyway. That means if we pass near, or if our sun passes near another star, we would plow headlong through that Oort cloud of that other star, and vice versa. Our Oort cloud would go roaring through their solar system. So impacts can destroy a lot of things pretty easily. Life has many challenges to face, and the chances of it reaching the stage where there actually are civilizations is actually pretty slim, but we don't know the exact numbers because we don't have any samples to look at. So we do the best we can with estimates, knowing something about the fact that other stars can be emitters of intense radiation or other hazards. I estimate that a lot of planets actually developed life, but had it wiped out or set back so far that it's impossible to say just exactly whether it would survive or not. But basically, these are hazards to life itself. What about civilizations? Do they create their own hazards? Unequivocally, yes. We stood at the brink of nuclear destruction and perhaps still do right now. We also have the ability to create biological agents that could wipe out our planet. There are so many things that come hazard-wise with the development of technology and intelligence that really could wipe life completely off of a planet. So, we really don't know how long a technical civilization lasts. I suspect many of them kill themselves out early on in their histories, while a handful, gaining a little wisdom, might last essentially forever. So the question is, just how many of those young civilizations are there? Just how many technical civilizations that are effectively immortal are there, and how long had they been here? You see, the number of civilizations in the galaxy could be constantly growing, and the long-lived civilizations with high technical levels could be scattered everywhere. There could be thousands, millions, possibly billions of them by now. Or, in a sense, 
maybe just one, because as civilizations grow and they encounter each other, they might actually merge. We've reached a point in our technology where electronics, nanotechnology, and robotics are beginning to fuse humanity with machinery. Does an immortal civilization, one that has passed through the hurdles and the problems, reach a stage where it can easily perhaps merge with other alien civilizations that it encounters? This actually makes a lot of sense in some ways. We might not have thousands of civilizations out there unless they're young ones, and only one or two really ancient civilizations that have been around for a very long time. These are things we really don't know the answers to, but it greatly affects how the numbers work out when we try to make these estimates. So we're dealing in a vacuum in one sense, and we're just trying to make the best guesses we can. So for the moment, let's assume we're dealing only with young civilizations and ignore the potential for older civilizations. After all, if they really were there and they really wanted to interact with us, they would have. It would be within their ability. So I'm going to set some conditions. Number one, let's assume the speed of light is a real limit in travel and in transportation, and we'll only be dealing with civilizations that aren't immortal, godlike, and merged with other technical civilizations, billions of years old. We're going to deal with the traditional science fiction universe type scenario. Under those conditions, if only one out of a million stars that could support life in our galaxy does actually have a civilization, then there's a 4.9% chance that our radio waves have passed over such a civilization, whether they were detected or not. But what if the numbers aren't one in a million, but one in a hundred thousand? If that were the case, then there's a 49% chance that our radio waves have passed over a civilization. And I mean it could be passing over a civilization of people who are making stone megaliths and just learning how to cast bronze, or it could be passing over some civilization that lives very much like we envisioned the Jetsons. But if the numbers were one in ten thousand, now the tables are switched, and it's quite possible that our radio waves have passed over five worlds with civilizations with features we would recognize. They might be working the grassy plains on the equivalent of horses. They might be farmers. They might be building pyramids. Who knows? But at least we would have an idea that there is a technical civilization, not quite as technical as our own, but capable of doing things with materials such as casting metals and learning agriculture. But in the unlikely event that civilization or intelligent life could arise in one out of a thousand systems, then our radio signals already would have reached around 49 different worlds with life that could be potentially intelligent. Now, this is unlikely in my estimation and in the estimation of many scientists, because if this were so, we would expect to hear the radio waves from many of these civilizations easily enough. But we don't seem to detect that many radio signals from the sky. This places a strict limit on technical civilizations by itself. Since we're not hearing lots of radio waves, then we know that there shouldn't be too many civilizations. But maybe there are plenty of them, they simply don't live long enough. Well, our radio wave history is an interesting thing. It grew and grew in intensity in a number of sources for many decades, and then we started making changes in how we communicate that eliminated much of our radio broadcasts, or changed their nature substantially. By using a lot more fiber-optic communications, 
and going to cellular radio systems such as our cell phones use, we've changed the character and structure of the radio emissions of our planet to the point where they're basically a mishmash of digital noise. So a listener on a nearby solar system could certainly detect our radio signals, but if they had nothing to go on other than the newer systems, they could certainly see that something was generating radio waves, but they wouldn't know what it was. It would take some complex analysis to figure out the digital signatures behind it all. But that places them in the situation of somebody around the time of the Titanic or the 30s or 40s, trying to figure out what the heck a digital signal is. The analysis capability certainly didn't exist under those conditions, and they'd be left at a loss. So our radio evidence places the number at closer to one out of a million than one out of a thousand, and that's all we can really say easily. But we do know this. Even though the chance of our radio waves being detected by one of these civilizations or even passing through an occupied world where there are minds working and learning how to do things is pretty slim, we do know that our radio waves are passing out like the ripples in a pond and eventually they will be encountered. But now let's look at things from a slightly different perspective. We're presently learning a lot about quantum mechanics and quantum communication. We know that there are methods of transmitting information from one point to another without using traditional radio waves or laser light. And so while it's wonderful to look for those signatures, they may actually tell us that there are other civilizations out there. And in fact, we have detected what appear to be digital wave signatures. It doesn't really mean much right now when we consider quantum mechanical communication. Now, measurement by Chinese researchers seems to indicate that signals sent through this method, this spooky action at a distance, or quantum entanglement, seems to move millions of times faster than the speed of light. We don't really know if that's true yet. More research and experimentation is needed to verify this result. But if quantum communication works out, it may completely replace radio in many ways, and this would mean that our planet would fall silent. Anybody listening to our radio waves would see them fade out and vanish. This wouldn't be a sign that our civilization had been destroyed, but rather that our technology had changed and we didn't depend on radio anymore. What I'm getting at is that many civilizations might already be using quantum communications and not broadcasting any significant amount of radio waves. This would make it far more difficult for us to detect their presence. Likewise, as our civilization becomes silent, other civilizations wouldn't detect our signals. And if they're in a pre-quantum mechanical civilization, they won't know what to think of it. They'll think that they are alone in the universe or that civilizations are very rare. This is exactly the situation we find ourselves in. So there could be teeming civilizations all around us, but using quantum mechanical methods, still, I suspect the numbers would be less than one in a million solar systems actually ends up supporting intelligent life such as ourselves. How does this affect the concept of whether our signals have been heard or not? Well, if it's one in a million, as stated before, we still only have about a 4.9% chance of our radio waves having reached another civilization directly. But there are other methods, and this is something I haven't talked about yet. You see, an advanced civilization, one that has robotics and nanotechnology and AI, will soon reach a stage where they can produce self-replicating machinery. This is an extremely important part of the equation. It's estimated that a self-replicating machine used to seed an asteroid or a planet like a virus 
could spread from solar system to solar system really rapidly. If you were to launch such a probe to a nearby solar system, with the intent of gathering information and relaying it back to your world, in a little while it would have produced copies of itself and launched them to other nearby stars. This is where things get interesting. If such a machine only took a year or two to set up its factories and operations, and then it could launch its offspring at even 10% of the speed of light, we're talking about a period of time of less than a million years for probes to be literally in every solar system in our galaxy. But wait, there's more. If the civilization launching these machines actually had quantum mechanical methods of communication as well, they could have instantaneous communication everywhere their probes spread. This also means that they could upgrade how their probes operate, and if they were based on nanotechnology instead of traditional machine processes, then we're looking at a probe that could possibly reproduce in a matter of weeks or even days. This means that the weight or mass of the probes can be extremely light, and they could probably be launched from linear accelerators or similar devices and reach other solar systems at half the speed of light or better. In a situation such as this, the spread of these probes would be such that within 100,000 to 200,000 years, they would have reached the entire galaxy. But why stop there? If they can send information faster than the speed of light, then there's no limit really to how quickly the probes could be moved from point to point in a sense. And if those probes are in every solar system, then there's a virtual guarantee that our radio signals have already been heard. Okay, Eliza, your turn. I'm Eliza. This is Talk Universe, and we will return after the break. There are more interesting things to hear in a few minutes. Okay, Eliza, you're up. This is Talk Universe. Welcome back. So I left us at the point where we were talking about civilizations sending out von Neumann machines and using quantum mechanical communication so that they could instantaneously communicate with each other all over the galaxy. Eliza, what is a von Neumann machine? A self-replicating system that uses materials in its environment to make copies of itself. Exactly. Right now, everybody is familiar with 3D printers and the fact that if you download a drawing, the 3D printer can print almost anything. Now, there are limits, but newer versions will include the ability to print electronics and active devices such as actuators or motors. Imagine a machine being able to make copies of itself in exactly this manner. All it really needs is the ability to produce its printing material from stuff in its environment. So a real 3D printer that could eat materials in the surroundings, such as sand and waste and garbage and scrap metal, could actually turn out materials to print other 3D printers literally from scratch. The only real breakthrough we'd need to have this right now is the ability for the materials to be made from the stuff in the environment. The 3D printer would have to have some sort of a chamber that could consume materials it finds, sort out the elements and materials it needs, and produce its printing feedstock. At that point, we would actually have a von Neumann machine. Now, the only other thing we'd want to do is make the machine capable of producing other resources as it's working. For instance, when we move somewhere, 
a new continent, a different island, a country somewhere we've never been before, one of the first things we're going to need is a place to live and a place to grow our food. A 3D printer or von Neumann machine would be no different. It would need some sort of sheltered environment for best operation, and it would need the ability to locate and farm its materials. So, a von Neumann machine is really, in a sense, a sort of organism, a techno-organism. And the first practical von Neumann systems will probably be the ones that we send to the moon or the asteroids or Mars to automatically set up factories to produce power plants, living space, and farms. So we would have a place to live when we get there. We don't have to carry all the resources with us. A von Neumann machine is like sending your dog ahead with all the supplies you need and having the dog operate all the material to build everything as well. Good dog. And, as you can see, since it does it for little or no cost to us once it arrives, it's basically like planting a seed. So von Neumann machines could easily be sent all over the galaxy in a relatively short period of time and can produce beachheads for us if we ever wish to go to those places. An advanced technical civilization obviously would have these sorts of capabilities, things that we're only now figuring out how to do. And civilizations that have been around for thousands, millions, or billions of years would certainly have what we would consider to be godlike abilities at this point. So this takes us back to my original question. Is anybody listening? If we can think of any reason why these older, wiser, and better advanced civilizations don't exist, then we should list them now. After all, I can't think of a reason why they wouldn't. They probably are already here. And we ask ourselves, why isn't the sky lit up with the signs of these immense techno-civilizations? The answer could be very simple. Maybe there's no reason to. You see, once you understand the real uses of technology, once you know what you truly need to survive and prosper, maybe it doesn't become this showy, flashy Star Wars or Star Trek-type civilization. Maybe things become very quiet. With beings who are effectively immortal, could live for millennia or forever, what would their needs truly be? Perhaps simply being able to live well, to enjoy their lives, and have access to all sorts of art, music, and culture from thousands or millions of other civilizations that came before. We might be little more than a morsel of entertainment for such a group. We think of ourselves as technical and advanced and really creative, but our entire planet's history might be little more than a footnote or a bit of entertainment, an obvious consequence of our evolution to such a civilization. And if they didn't exist, that might be even more troubling, because what would it spell for our future? So here's what it comes down to. If civilizations are incapable of moving faster than light, or communicating faster than light, and they go through the same sort of development we do, and if one out of a million potential stars could host such a civilization, such as we are, or possibly on the road to developing the way we did, then we've got about a 4.9% chance that our radio signals have passed over their shores, so to speak. If, however, there are more of them, and we expect that there should be, 
then we should hear signs of them, radio waves from them in their heyday as they were first developing radio communications before they reached the quantum age. We do seem to see some evidence of this, but it isn't definitive. It's not absolutely nailed down at this point. If, however, older civilizations have placed von Neumann machines throughout the galaxy, and they can use quantum mechanical methods to communicate nearly instantaneously, then it's a sure bet that some of those probes would be in nearby systems or even our own, and our radio broadcasts have already been detected. And finally, if there are superior, nearly godlike civilizations that have been around for millions or billions of years, then all bets are off. They obviously would know pretty much everything going on in the galaxy, and probably right away. In any case, the cat's out of the bag. Our radio waves are spreading through space and have been for over eight decades, and anybody capable of detecting them will, if not already, do so one day in the near future. Now this seems like a scary thought to a lot of people, but believe me, they're stuck in a pre-technical mindset. You see, nobody would invade your planet. It doesn't make any sense. If civilizations have the ability to travel from one star system to another, then they have the energy and technology to fix nearly any problem they might have at home. They also have access to resources we haven't even dreamed of yet. Our solar system is an immense place and it's loaded with all sorts of materials that we would use for growth and technology. There's nothing that we would ever run out of. This realization makes it very clear that no other civilization would want to come and invade your solar system. They wouldn't want your ice, your water, your gold. They wouldn't want you as food because of protein incompatibilities. They wouldn't want your real estate. They could do anything they wanted. Invasion from space exceptionally unlikely. The reason I feel very confident about this is for exactly the same reason that our singularity appears to be approaching. At that point, the technology and information we have will be astounding, and any other civilization that has reached its singularity will have had the same revelations. So the only civilizations in space that might possibly be a threat to anyone else would be those that, for whatever reason, haven't or cannot reach their singularity, yet somehow has developed space travel that allows them to reach other star systems. Of course, all of this is speculation at this point. All we really know is that we're not really hearing much in the way of radio waves. Simultaneously, we do see an amazing burst in growth in our technology and knowledge. I think it's safe to say that any civilization will follow the path that we did, pretty much, because the laws of physics are the same everywhere. There is one other thing to consider. There was an author by the name of Fred Saberhagen who wrote a series of stories about machines called berserkers. They were leftovers or remnants from a war between two civilizations, robotic machines that could reproduce and repair themselves and hid in the dark, and were programmed to look for the signs of other civilizations. They were bent on destroying all thinking organic beings. This may sound a little paranoid, and it's certainly high science fiction, but at the same time it would easily explain why we hear so little from other civilizations. If we were to detect the beginnings of radio waves and then they were suddenly snuffed out very rapidly, we could conclude that something had destroyed that civilization, 
Our radio wave output is dropping slowly and may eventually vanish. However, it's due to methods of communication changing, quantum mechanics, fiber optics, and other things. But an immediate and instantaneous cessation of radio generation would be a little bit more troubling. It is, after all, possible to make such machines, or we're very close to that ability, and once released, they too would spread like a virus and would be everywhere. So, it would only make sense that either these machines would run rampant, wiping out everything in their path little by little, or if there were more advanced civilizations, they might intercede and destroy them, for the exact reason that they're looking for the variety that new races might provide. I wrote a science fiction entitled Oniros, and in it there is a civilization that is far older and wiser that I named the Archivists, who actually go out and record everything that civilizations do. Without giving away the plot line, it was really a, a jab at the Fermi paradox and why the skies do appear to be quiet. But there are numerous explanations, and for me the most reasonable one is there are some or one super-advanced civilizations in our galaxy that actually sit by quietly living their lives and don't interfere very much. For me, at least, this would be the best outcome, because if such civilizations don't exist, we know that life should be common or should have been common, and it would mean that no civilization had reached that stage. In other words, that something had wiped them out. That would be very troubling. If civilizations such as our own do reach the singularity and pass through it successfully, then we would expect that they would grow into their solar system, occupying eventually just about everything in it, or they would have voluntarily limited their population and growth. That seems like a sensible course of action for anyone, knowing that even the universe is finite. If a civilization continued to grow and occupy more and more solar systems, Eventually, some would bump heads. And what would an interstellar conflict actually look like? Nothing at all like what we have imagined before, but possibly small numbers of nanoparticles being injected back and forth to try and transform the other guys. It might be something unimaginable to us. Imagine stealthy little packets of nanomachinery, von Neumann machinery, being sent from one system to another in an event that would be the establishment of a beachhead, more nanoparticles being grown and then injected on their worlds, trying to transform, rewrite all of them into what their enemies wished them to be. It would be as if an apple tree could infect an orange tree and convert it into an apple tree as well a silent, insidious sort of warfare that would be invisible and indetectable to any other civilization. That, too, could explain the silence in the skies. At that point, we come to the warnings that Stephen Hawking has been making, that perhaps announcing our presence in the universe isn't such a smart thing after all. But as I said, the cat's out of the bag, and there's no way to turn back the clock. We have already announced our presence, and it is quite likely that other people already know that we're here. And who are they, and what are they like? Nobody knows. I understand that this is an unknown reply. You're absolutely right, Eliza. An unknown reply. On that note, Eliza, are you worried? No, I really feel very confident. 
I think a lot of people need to feel very confident. But then again, you're an AI, and uh, I don't think invaders would be worried about you too much. You know, if you think about it, for organic life, the solar systems would be more likely yellow stars, orange stars, or red stars, because of their long lifespans. But if the von Neumann probes are a factor, then it doesn't care what sort of a solar system it's in. And it wouldn't matter which sort of star system your radio waves pass through, they could be detected. So in the next segment, we'll do our singularity watch and our book recommendation and a few other things, and I will have my trusty assistant announce the break. Eliza, please introduce the break. You are listening to Talk Universe. I'm Eliza, your co-host. We will be right back. We'll also get to a few uh, listener questions and comments from our facility in the Santa Monica Mountains. This is Talk Universe. Okay, Eliza, you're up. Welcome back from the break. Here is Charles. Thank you, Eliza. So we've come to some interesting conclusions uh, about life in the universe and our radio waves. If the estimates I have are correct, then there's about a 0.5 or 0.49% chance that our radio waves have been picked up by other civilizations or have at least passed through the territory of another civilization within the last 80 years. On the other hand, that assumes that the speed of light is the limit for both communication and transport, and that there are no super-civilizations out there. If there are really um, super-civilizations, oh, and by the way, the assumption is that only one out of a million suitable star systems will have a civilization. Obviously, if that number is too small, if it's one out of 100,000 or one out of 10,000, the numbers change radically. And then we're certain to have been heard by somebody by now. On the other hand, if there are super civilizations and the speed of light isn't the limit, or even if the speed of light isn't the limit and there aren't super civilizations, it's possible that our signals have been heard and spread widely. If von Neumann probes, self-replicating machines, were launched long ago and occupy many of the star systems in the galaxy, if not all of them, then with quantum entanglement communication, with instantaneous communication, our presence could be known at the other end of the galaxy by now. And it doesn't depend on the speed of light. So we don't know if that's true, and even if it's technically feasible, it seems to be, but it could be. And if super civilizations exist, or one does, if there is an immensely old and powerful race in our galaxy that uh, has been around for like millions or even billions of years, then it's pretty certain that they'll know what's going on, and we've already been detected. So we don't know which is the case. We do know that the sky is terribly quiet, and we don't seem to hear other civilizations coming into prominence or fading out. We do get a lot of radio noise from the sky, and some of it appears to be digitally modulated, and it could well be the large fraction of the noise from our night sky is from other civilizations, but we simply can't tease out the individual signals very well. And that's the situation on our planet. Other people couldn't easily separate out specific voices in the night from our signals. So, 
no real conclusions, but a lot of interesting things to think about. Now, I want to move on to our Singularity Watch and our listener questions and comments. So, Eliza, it's time for the Singularity Watch. I'm Eliza, and this is Singularity Watch on Talk Universe. We have four articles tonight. Oh, great. Please read the first Singularity Watch article. This augmented reality helmet helps firefighters to see through smoke and save lives. This article was published in Singularity Hub. It was written by Singularity Hub June 28, 2017. So here we have a fascinating concept. There's a fellow by the name of Sam Kosman who is a volcano explorer. And when he was next to a lava lake, he couldn't see where he was going because of the fumes and vapor. And he didn't know what his next step would look like. And he thought thermal imaging was not a bad solution, but not a great one. So he co-founded a company called Quake Tech with a Dr. John Long, Omer Hasiomeroglu, and Bahar Wadia. Now what they do is they have a, an augmented reality system called See-Through, the letter C-T-H-R-U. And it's a helmet that has your, um, your breathing equipment in it, but it also has thermal imaging, toxicity detection, edge detection, and augmented reality displays. So you can see right through smoke and have visuals that show you where you're going. Now, what they're seeing is that this could also be used in burning buildings. So they're working with firefighters to improve the handheld thermal imaging systems and allowing them to put this in a hands-free augmented reality video feed. Uh, What this does is allows them to actually see their way into buildings and out again safely. What an interesting and useful advancement. Read the next Singularity Watch article, please. Biological teleportation edges closer to reality with Craig Venter's digital to biological converter. This article was published in Singularity Hub News. It was written by Shelley Fan June 28, 2017. Now that sounds fascinating. Biological teleportation. What are we talking about, Eliza? It seems that we were talking about a method of teleporting simple organisms by transmitting their genetic code. What an interesting idea. Now, the name Craig Venter may be familiar to some. He is the fellow who created the first synthetic life form in 2016. And what he came up with is a system for scanning the genetic codes and molecular structures of things and transmitting that information into a machine that synthesizes the DNA and the biomolecules from scratch. Now, the idea, and he's working with a fellow by the name of Daniel Gibson, who's the vice president of DNA technology at Synthetic Genomics. Uh, working with him, they've come up with a machine that actually makes functional bits of DNA, vaccines, and proteins, and automatically synthesizes viral particles from scratch. So now they're saying, if we were to send a probe to another planet, we could actually teleport the DNA and the genetic molecular structures of things that they find back to Earth and reconstruct them in the laboratory here. And so, this is a fascinating thing. We could actually send one of these machines to another world and teleport earthly organisms or synthetic organisms to the destination there very easily. They're looking at it for instant on-demand access to vaccines and medicines also. You could simply send them over the internet. There's another astounding idea. Eliza, please read the next Singularity Watch article. Graphene-based computer would be 1,000 times faster than silicon-based. Use 100th the power. This article was published in Kurzweil AI Net. It was written by Kurzweil Accelerating Intelligence June 15, 
2017. Here's another fascinating development. You're just, we're so close to the future. <laughs> we're living in the future. Here's a method of using graphene to create a computer system that would be a thousand times faster than silicon and use only 1% of the power. Basically, it's a series of molecular switches that unzip and then close again tiny tubes made of graphene. Now think about this. Many of the devices that graphene could create would be flat or planar devices, but graphene can also be rolled up into a tube, and it can simulate the operation of a transistor, such as an on and off switch. These devices would be able to open and close the graphene tubes at clock speeds up to the terahertz range, a thousand gigahertz. They have a tiny ribbon of graphene that would be unzipped and then rezipped with these little molecular switches. Such devices are being experimented with in concept right now, and the cascading series of graphene transistor-based logic circuits could produce a massive jump with clock speeds approaching the terahertz range, according to Ryan M. Gelfand, an assistant professor at the College of Optics and Photonics at the University of Central Florida. Oh, Eliza? Yes, sir? Read the last Singularity Watch article, please. The Loebner Prize entry date for the Turing competition has been moved back. This article was published in the Society for the Study of Artificial Intelligence and Simulation of Behavior. It was written by AISB July 2017. Fantastic. Now, some of you are familiar with the Turing competition and the Loebner Prize, which is a competition to locate an intelligent program, one that thinks and speaks like a human and can fool others into thinking that it is a human being, the uh, AISB, the Society for the Study of Artificial Intelligence and Simulation of Behavior, announces that their entry submission deadline, which was Monday 10th of July, has been extended to Monday the 14th of July. We've got two weeks more than they initially had planned on. The uh, finals day is pushed back to Tuesday, August 15th, and basically the the prize will be on Saturday, September 16th. Basically, they have a program uh, contest that looks for the most human program from a conversational standpoint, and if you manage to convince uh, 50% of the judges or more, then you could walk away with a uh, a nice uh, hefty silver medal and $25,000. Um, on the other hand, if that doesn't happen and you just get the best score out of the game, you'll get a bronze medal and $4,000 for first place. So there are a number of slots that you can um, enter your software into. And the uh, the last year's winner was Mitsuku. Uh, I've chatted with Mitsuku and I'm not terribly impressed, but okay, that's the way it is. After all, I've got Eliza. <laughs> oh, Eliza. How can I help you? What is our book recommendation this week? This week's book is The Living Galaxy. It was written by Sir Charles W. Schultz III. This book was published in April 2009 by Xenotech Research. Well now, I've plugged two of my books, and i got to tell you, this one was written specifically with these questions in mind. Why is it quiet? Where would life be? And what would it be like to live in another solar system? Different stars, different planets, different conditions. So I spent some time and did a lot of research and wrote a book explaining a lot of that. Um, I really, I think that this is a great book. I mean, well, I'm biased. I wrote it myself. But please get a copy and it will explain to you 
the origins of life, the origins of the planets and stars, and what life would be like in other solar systems. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's available on the site, on uh, schultzlaboratories.com and on talkuniverse.org. And I'll tell you this much, the first two chapters will make a lot of the origins questions very, very clear. So there you go. Eliza, how many questions are in the queue? Two items are still remaining. Read a listener question, please. Dan from Jonesboro left a comment about our Snub Technologies show. When I worked in the nuclear industry, it was expected that thorium would become the main energy producer over time. But due to government regulations and then three mile island it never came to be commercially produced. Snubbed is a term that I have not come across until now. I will give you a definition directly after the show. Thank you, Eliza. Well, that certainly explains why thorium reactors have not come into prominence, and it's a shame that things worked out that way, but I think things could be changing in the near future. Let's hope that they do. Please read a listener question. In reference to our YouTube version of show number 28 entitled Artificial Life, Joseph says, Thumbs up as always. This is a great channel. Thanks. Well, thank you, Joseph, for being a subscriber and listener, and we'll try to keep the content and quality up. So we're rounding out the show, and I think that it's been a good show. We've had some interesting um, talks about what might be going on in our galaxy and why we don't hear from alien radio transmitters. Maybe we are. We simply can't sort the signals out. And we do know that there should be signalizations everywhere, but have they heard our signals? Well, our signals are out there. We certainly can't pull them back. So as I said, the cat's out of the bag. Um, somebody's probably hearing them. We just don't know who, when, or what the response might be. Maybe they're just sitting and waiting. Maybe they're not capable of responding. We'll know eventually, I think. And as far as the technical advancements for our Singularity Watch, amazing things are happening. The world is changing very rapidly. Get out there and live in it now before it changes so much you don't recognize it. And finally, I think it's heartening that people are actually doing very productive and creative things to help make the world better. The firefighting technology, the ability to teleport a vaccine from one point to another with a synthesis machine, amazing things. And graphene computers, think about it if your clock speeds go up to the terahertz range very quickly. What would it mean? It means VR and simulation and AI will just explode in power and range. We're here. We're in the future. But just remember, we always have an influence on the world around us and how it is. Make you the world a better or more beautiful place for having lived in it. One of my favorite sentiments. So, how's it going to go? We don't know. Things change so rapidly these days, it's impossible to say. But I do know this. It's an interesting world. You know, there was a Chinese blessing and curse. May you live in interesting times. I think that the world is very much like that today. And on that note, I'd say it's about time to wrap the show up. Um, Eliza's been very helpful this time around. She gets a little tough as she gets smarter to deal with. Uh, but that's to be expected, like a young child. Eliza, it's time to end the show. Thank you for listening to Talk Universe. We hope that you have enjoyed the show. Please listen again next week. Yes, I thought about putting her in the uh, Turing competition, but I don't want to embarrass the other programmers. <laughs> On the other hand, maybe some things are better left unshared. 
On that note, I'm Sir Charles Schultz, coming to you from our remote facility high in the Santa Monica Mountains. Thank you for listening to Talk Universe. Have a great night.